It's time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Hersema. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is a Friday edition of the podcast, and that means we have another wonderful guest to sit down with and chat about uh, life's journey with just maybe some things that have come out up throughout their life. Uh, something that hopefully can inspire some of us and uh, take something home, something to think about, right? Uh, as we go into a weekend uh, today, we're going to be joined by Steve Martin. No, not the world famous actor from uh, my blue heaven and father of the bride. Although he would be a lot of fun to have on the program. He's actually one of my favorite actors, but anyway, no, not that Steve Martin. I will say the better Steve Martin, uh, Steve Martin was a longtime coach in care youth league in the, uh, on the Indian, in the Indian program, they changed the name since then and everything, but it used to be Atlantic coral Indian named after oceans. And, uh, he was a big part of the Indian program for years, at least when I was growing up playing in Cary youth league, uh, Mr. Martin went to Rio Hondo prep back in the early seventies, played in the first CIF football championship game between, uh, Rio Hondo prep and brethren Christian, I believe, uh, Rio lost that day, but the juniors and sophomores who came back the very next year, uh, were victorious in the championship game in 73. Unfortunately, Steve Martin and his senior classmates, uh, their, their career ended that night. But I can honestly say it was those guys who really helped propel the RHP football tradition into what it has become today. So we'll talk about uh, RHP sports, maybe football specifically with Mr. Martin, how he discovered Care Youth League, um, you know, what it's been like coaching over the years. And of course, his career as well, which I'll let him tell you all about. Been very successful. Uh, throughout his life and a uh, big thing I want to talk to Mr. Martin about if he's up open up for it is uh, you know back in 2000 right around 20 years ago we'll say give or take um, you know he and his family really went through a tough tragedy and uh, you know, I don't know how much he'll be willing to talk about it but what I want to say about that is that uh, Mr. Martin is someone who has carried himself uh, with quiet strength at least from what I've seen in my experiences with him and to kind of um, achieve what he's achieved to me is, is truly remarkable. His four children have uh, become very successful, all grown up now, and we'll get into all that with him. But I just wanted to say that to Mr. Martin. I mean, he's truly an inspiration to a lot of people. And I will let you guys find out why as I get into the conversation here with him. But uh, very much looking forward to this interview with Mr. Steve Martin. Should be a lot of fun. So uh, hopefully you guys enjoy it as well. And thank you for joining us today on another fun uh, interview here on a Friday on the Get Home Safe podcast. Okay, I'm sitting here with Mr. Steve Martin. No, not the actor, the uh, wonderful coach from Care Youth League. Mr. Martin, it's been a long time. Uh, how are you doing, sir? Doing very well. Good to see you. It's been a while too. You know what it has? I was trying to think uh, back when it is. I mean, we generally bump into each other at a football game or something. I haven't been to one in a while, but uh, you know, you, I think you said you ran into my dad recently at a ball game, right? Yes. This last week's uh, Ray Hunter prep football game. Yeah. You know, he, he can talk people's ear off. I, I love him for it, but yeah, he's, uh, he, he still <laughs> was fun. Uh, I was glad to talk to him. It was fun. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love him to death and he loves RHP football and uh, you know, Miss Mar, we're going to talk about, uh, a few things here, but, uh, you know, some, some high school playing days, you guys were in the first, uh, team to be in a CIF championship game for Rio. Um, Rio has become a great su success, uh, since then, um, your line of work, your coaching and care. I mean, a lot of things to get to, uh, first off, uh, you're taking the time out of your very busy schedule. Uh, you were explaining to me, you're an, let me see here. I don't want to mess it up. <laughs> Director of uh, acoustics. Uh, I, I messed it up already. Please tell me what, what your current occupation is. I'm an acoustical consultant. I work for Benaclaus and Associates, and I'm currently the Director of Environmental Acoustics. Uh, my actual title is Associate Principal. Um, and then I also, on the side, I do, uh, at Care Youth League, I'm a member of the Board of uh, Directors. 
Very cool. So yeah, still very much involved, not coaching anymore, but uh, a lot of involvement at care. And I remember, so back to my dad, you and my dad kind of occasionally would, would talk at some of these events and things because you were kind of helping with the sound at times or electrical before him or Mr. Bray, the two electricians kind of got involved, right? Yeah, I was, I was involved probably directly out of high school with um, sound systems at care, video recording, all kinds of uh, news, news stuff and um, got the new camera that came in from uh, that Mr. Philip went over to Japan and bought and we used it and people were just wowed when they saw the, the equipment we had. <laughs> but um, then I also had to do uh, a lot of electrical work around care that needed improvements. I put in some, um, some systems to intercom systems, sound systems for the football game, for the pavilion for outdoor activities and I'd run the sound but I got so that I didn't have enough time or experience to do some of these jobs and I was looking for help and I called upon your dad as well the ones to help me him and Mr. Bray who both jumped at the chance and were very helpful. Yeah they, they've contributed a lot of hours down there my dad with the, the Kayla Russell club rooms and a lot of the other stuff there and so yeah it was nice that you had two electricians to actually reach out to because I think a lot of th times at care and Rio, it's kind of like you get thrown into the mix of something you kind of know, but don't totally know. So I know Rio and care people are very appreciative of uh, the so-called experts we'll say, although I hate giving my dad so much credit. No, he, he <laughs> definitely is an expert and I counted on them very um, faithfully and they did a great job. Well, what exactly, uh, you mentioned your job, uh, you've been doing that line of work a long time, uh, acoustics, uh, tell us about that, what that's been like. Uh, it's very interesting, noise and vibration um, is the main thing that I work on. Uh, my interest in recording sound and sound systems led me to take one course in acoustics uh, as an elective, and um Believe it or not, I was uh, I was an electrical engineer uh, at Cal Poly Pomona and graduated and looked for jobs, but there was a recession at the time. So Mr. Bill Barbo, I don't know if you remember Jay Barbo, his dad uh, pulled me aside and said, asked me how it was going. I said, you know, nobody's got any jobs. And he, he says, come with me. Went to an office, pulled out a Yellow Pages, and he looked up acoustics and he found one listing. He says, there it is. Uh, call them. So I called them and uh, they said, uh, well, you know, send us, uh, send us a resume and we'll give it a look. And then they said, oh, by the way, also send us a list of the classes you took and the grades you got. Well, I had been told that they weren't supposed to do that. So it took me a while before I sent it. But I finally sent it. The day they got it, they called me, wanted an interview. They liked my experience and they um, sent me, gave me an offer. And so rather than going to electrical engineering, I went into acoustics. And so what exactly, I mean, without going into too much detail, but like what exactly uh, you hear acoustics for like, like in the pavilion, for instance, the old American savings pavilion at Rio. It was funny. We always, the only reason we knew even what that word meant is because you could kind of whisper in one corner and hear it all the way across the floor or something. So what exactly do you do or have done in your career in that line of work? Well, um, you can, Part of it is designing sound systems for buildings. Um, I did a few of those, not as many as I wanted to, but I got more interested in the environmental acoustics anyway. Um, but there's ways to treat uh, surfaces and rooms and cut down echoes, which we did with the new uh, Stiver Center. Oh. And, um, you know, we put it in the budget, had money ready to spend for it. Um, we're not able to do that in the pavilion and it was going to take way too much work and too much money to get it up to par. So they kind of just, we kind of just stuck with it and dealt with it the best we could until we were able to build the uh, Stiver Center. But I worked with, uh, as you remember, you were involved a little bit with a, a job I did at uh, Upland uh, Airport where we did some noise measurements on off-highway vehicles. Yeah, We were looking at uh, California State Parks had a job where they were trying to control noise from off-highway vehicles. And I've done a number of jobs for them over the years. 
worked for Disney. Um, Disneyland was looking at putting a new entrance into the park. They needed a study to say, is this going to be an impact to the neighbors? How can we control it if it is? Um, same with vibration, vibration due to metros. Uh, I've worked in India on some metros in, uh, in um, various cities in India regarding vibration and how it may impact new buildings or existing buildings that are above the subway or alongside a, a ground-based uh, train. That's just some of the things. Wow, incredible. Um, a lot of uh, work I did over the years was with uh, FAA. Uh, the air, they provided airport funding to airports to sound insulate homes because the noise was an impact to these uh, neighbors. So we did a lot to quiet uh, tens of thousands of homes around airports across the nation. Wow, I'm sure there's a lot of grateful people there that that may have met, may have not even known that uh, work went into all that because yeah, I I hear where I currently live, I hear everything outside. So man, I, I totally can appreciate that. And yeah, that was one of my first. wasn't really a. I mean, it was a one day thing, but I remember out of I can't remember if I was high school or early college years or whatever. But yeah, I showed up at Cable Airport in Upland, and you're like, you're gonna someone. I think it was Todd set it up. You're gonna go work for Mr. Martin. Work with Mr. Martin, and I held a clipboard. I wrote things down. There was a guy in a motorcycle going back and forth. And my big job, my big job in the middle of the day was I had to go to In-N-Out and get like 20 double doubles <laughs> for everybody in a long car line. But uh, anyway, yeah, I can't remember what it was all about, but I remember working at Cable Airport on the runway with you and, uh, and your colleagues there. So uh, fun memories indeed. <laughs> um, let's see, Mr. Martin, uh, you've had a, a great career. Sounds like you're, you're doing great work there. And uh, and everything, but um, let's go back to kind of the beginning, if you will. Let's go down memory lane and talk about your life, if you will. Where did you grow up? I always ask people this with care. Where did you grow up, and how in the world did you come across this place uh, known as uh, Boys Christian League at the time? Well, I, when I was first born, we lived in Glendora. My dad had a house there, um, and then we moved to uh, Arcadia on uh, Sunset, the extension of Temple City Boulevard, uh, just south of Huntington. Um, and when I was in third grade, I believe it was, third, yeah, third grade, we moved to Temple City, which uh, was on the border of the Arcadia School District versus the Alamani School District, because my dad wanted us in the Arcadia School District. So I went to Arcadia schools along the way, and there I met uh, Chris Horton and Ken McCammon, two guys that were in Boys Christian League at the time. And Chris invited me and talked to my his mom, talked to my mom, and mm. that's how I first started. Ah, the, the the moms talking to each other. Yeah, that seems to be the way for a lot of uh, <laughs> the experiences I've talked to kids about. Uh, but Mr. Martin, born in Glendora. Okay, I like that. I'm from Glendora. I, I noticed. No, 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 no. Go, go back. Born, not born, born in Glendora? <clears throat> no, I was, born in, I was born in Pasadena at okay, the okay. Huntington Memorial Hospital. Um, at the time, I'm not sure if they had a uh, apartment in Pasadena I think they did. And then they bought a place in Glendora. Gotcha. Okay. Well, significant time in Glendora. Gator country, as we know, I'm very proud of Gator alum. I see your light blue gator colored shirt there on. I'm just saying it's irony. That's irony. That's all I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> so you and Chris Horton, um, uh, I've heard from Mr. Horton a lot uh, in his club meetings and things talking about the, you know, the good old days with uh, teammates and such. So uh, what did you think of Cure Youth League, or excuse me, Boys Christian League at the time, or, or was it Boys Christian League? What did you think of all that, uh, playing ball with your friends and, you know, the experience that is uh, Boys Christian League? It was, it was really fun. Um, what was interesting was I had played um, a year in fourth grade. I played a year at um, Little League, and so um, – I didn't start Cure Youth League until basketball season as a fifth grader. And so I didn't really understand a whole lot, but I know that my parents had planned for me to sign up for Little League again. And so I remember, I remember sitting, uh, going to the game, basketball game. And I don't know, I just had told Mr. Taylor, I think was my coach at the time and told him that I was uh, 
you know, my parents were going to sign me up for Little League. So I was, I was actually sitting out of the game a little bit because, you know, I, I wasn't going to be there anymore. I was going to be playing Little League. And I think, um, I'm not sure why it came up, but I just, I think I asked him, you know, can I go in the game? And he said something about, well, you're not going to be here. You're going to be going to Little League. And I don't know if I told my brother who was there at the game or what I, I told, go call my mom and dad, go call, go call mom, tell her I don't want to play little league. <laughs> Cause I didn't know, I, I didn't understand that Carrie think was also going to play bat, baseball. So anyway, um, he calls and my mom said, well, your dad just went to sign him up at the park. So she drove up there and just as he was getting ready to pay the down payment for the little league, he says, uh, he doesn't want to play little league. And so that ended it right there. And so I didn't go to Little League. I played care. Wow. Boys Christian League. Yeah, just just in the nick of time, uh, Mr. Taylor, had he not said, said those words to you, who knows what uh, what would have happened? That's that's interesting. That's uh, who, yep. who, are, who are some of your other uh, leaders or, or coaches that you had uh, in Boys Christian League? I had Mr. Johnson most of the time um, up through, I don't know, sixth, seventh grade, whatever it was at the time. Uh, junior high, I played, um, played for Mr. Oric at one point in mm. Care Youth Lake. And then, uh, Armin Masscamp was a coach for about a year. And then, um, in high school, I obviously had, um, I had Mr. Oric, Mr. Dowd and Mr. Hampton. Yeah. And at that time, to my knowledge, the school was still pretty new. Rio Prep now we're, we're kind of getting into and, so was there, I don't know what it was like back then. Was, was it, was it looked at as just a continuation of BCL or was it, uh, okay, this is a, a new big step. Uh, they have a school, but it's still kind of new. Was there any kind of hesitation to go to real Hondo prep? Yeah, I didn't go to real Hondo prep till it was in 10th grade. Um, oh. my, my dad had, had made sure we were in the Arcadia school districts because Arcadia schools had a very good school district and um, wasn't planning on paying money to go to a private school. Um, I did not, I despised what I saw at the public school as far as the way people acted, um, the way they would beat up on on the guy that was weaker or take his lunch money or um, be smoking in the hallway or the bathroom or, you know, talking about drugs and trying to, I don't know if they were selling drugs. I was kind of out of it, not in that crowd. So I just heard rumors. Um, so that was why starting in ninth grade, I wanted to come to Rihanna prep and made that change in 10th grade. Wow. Interesting. So uh, this is off topic a little bit here, but uh, so when Rio played, played uh, Arcadia, let's see back in, I think 2012 and absolutely demolished them. Did that game have a little extra, extra meaning for you uh watching Rio beat up on the Apaches that day oh yes a little bit I mean <laughs> you know it was uh I, I I went to First Avenue I never actually went to Arcadia High because oh. ninth grade was still at uh, junior high level but yeah oh very it, nice it, interesting so uh Rio Hondo Prep you already mentioned Mr. Chris Horton uh, John Martin, and these guys could be, you know, grade below you or your same age or whatever, but, uh, John Martin, Casey Clevenger, some names I know, um, you mentioned a few already talk to me about uh, your teammates and your peers, your, your colleagues really, and kind of the, uh, what that was like with real Honda prep still being pretty new sounded like you guys were a very tight knit group and just kind of, what was the overall experience like for you? Well, it was a small, small high school. Um, we were very close, very tight. Um, every one of us was um, kind of uh, looking out for each other. I mean, not only for their physical benefit, but also their spiritual benefit to make sure if there was any issues, you know, hey, what's going on here? You know, this something's not right. That was something that we commonly would talk about. Um, and there's always some people that, you know, maybe didn't want that. And so they would, uh, sometimes there was a, a second group of people that would not want to be in your group, but not, not too much, not really much that way. Um, most of the time they would choose to go to another school if uh, they didn't appreciate the atmosphere we had at, at Rio Hono Prep. Um, but 
you know, everybody that I remember, we just had a great time. We were pulling for each other, working hard and helping each other out. What was interesting, I talked to both John Martin and Chris Horton and talking kind of about this era in, in Rio and specifically football. I'm a big football guy. And, uh, you know, Chris Horton told me, you know, he hated football, but he, he loved it. He did it for the team. And uh, John Martin just talking about the camaraderie, really, and you guys. And not only that, but how whatever, however long ago that's been, 40, almost 50 years now, uh, it really created some lifelong friendships uh, with, with those guys, but I'm sure some, some other teammates as well. Oh yeah. Um, we've got deep friendships, deep uh, camaraderie. Um, I mean, Charlie Parsons was uh, mm. another one of those that, uh, uh, we played together. Um, guys that came up from JVs and even during, you know, even the JVs themselves, we were close to them. Yeah. Yeah, that's the beauty of having a small school is you kind of get to know everybody. You're in it together type of thing, real sense of community. And uh, I know back then class sizes were real small. Um, but uh, anyway, so football season. Uh, Mr. Horton told me that it was kind of like uh, uh, Steve Martin against everybody else. I mean, just just get you the ball, let you run around and, and do your thing. I'll let you uh, tell us how much truth there is to that. But 1972, I believe you guys have a great season. Go all the way to the finals unfortunately lose um in in the championship game uh what can you tell me about your experience at, at rio playing football and especially that final season um well i love football um i was small i was uh, probably five six five seven five eight at the most and uh weighing 135 to 145 pounds when i was playing football um so I ran for my life. Yes. <laughs> uh, I tried not to have anybody tackle me. Um, and I was fortunate to be, to have some moves that would fake people out. And then if I got around the corner, I could find somebody to throw it to uh, as soon as I could, I'd throw it to somebody because <laughs> I didn't want to get tackled. Um, although I did, I do remember doing some stupid things like one time trying to dive into the end zone to get a, a touchdown when I was close and getting pummeled, but you know, it's part of football, right? Yeah, no doubt about it. You sound like my teammate Jordan Ross. You know, he was a little guy running back for us in 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 our high school years. And some guys younger than us were like, "Man, Jordan, you're so good. You're so fast. How do you do it?" And he's just like, "I'm actually just terrified and don't want to get tackled. So you just <laughs> do what you got to do." Uh, but you that that final season or your senior year, I should say, you guys go all the way to the championship game, Brethren Christian, I believe. And um, it's a crazy story. You guys actually scored more touchdowns than the other team and lost. Is that correct? No, I think we scored the same amount. But, oh, okay. um, they made all their extra points and the extra points were two points in those days because you only had six men on the field. So they figured it was harder to kick the field goal than just to run it in. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Brethren was a school of, you know, six, 800 kids. Um, they had a network of churches where they would, pull together players that were, you know, good. I think their kicker went to uh, college and made, you know, was a kicker for the college and then even tried out for, I don't know if it was the Vikings or somebody. Didn't actually make it, but at least he tried out. So they had some pretty big guys, um, talented guys. But another thing that I do remember is just at halftime, we had the ball and we were running the ball down to the score and John Martin actually held the ball out over the end zone line to score a touchdown. And they didn't call it because we knew more than the officials did. They didn't understand that that was a touchdown. If you broke the plane, it's like, hello. Yeah. He told that exact story in the podcast. And he said, I think Philip Ostergaard was there and he was saying, you were totally in, you were totally in. So uh, no video, I guess, back then to overturn anything, but yeah, he, him telling that story in great detail, as you know, he can do, uh, yeah. was, was pretty special. So, uh, tough way to, to close out the senior season. And, uh, you know, I always real on the prep football to me, Mr. Martin, it's very special. I've been promoting it a lot these uh, past few months and everything. Did you guys, I, I know it was a tough loss, but did you guys feel maybe not at the time, but have you felt it since then that you guys kind of helped propel this, 
this small school program. I mean, Real Hondo Prep has seen countless CIF championships. Heck, they won the one one the very next year uh, after you guys lost. Do you guys feel any sense of uh, I don't know, not accomplishment, but just pride? I'll say in that you guys were kind of at the beginning of Real Hondo Prep football. Uh, yeah, I mean, not only we were, we were the first team that qualified for playoffs in every sport, basketball and in baseball. Oh, um, but um, there was a lot of pressure in those days to win. Um, so it was pretty tough when you lost a game and um, well, I'll just leave it at that. But um, <laughs> it was it was it was hard. But, yeah, we looked um course we we all looked from the stands the following year and said boy i wish i was out there this year because there was no brother and no whittier no ontario all the schools that had the big yeah big players and big schools they'd gone up to 11 man but you know it is what it is it was a it was a great football season great career yeah absolutely and football you love you love football but i i mean i i forgot to mention that yeah you guys had great um success we'll say in the other sports as well so i mean that's the thing about rio is you pretty much play everything you play every sport um so you you love football but but basketball and baseball were they kind of a, a close 1a 1b as far as your favorites went yeah i like basketball second baseball was probably third um i grew to love baseball a little bit more as i got older and uh played uh father softball and some other uh and then played actually played baseball in uh while i was in college and then uh years later when the, the college guys needed help and they asked me to play so, yeah yeah i enjoyed it those alumni games absolutely uh yeah you, at least the times i played i saw you out there those rhp alumni games were a lot of fun uh no that'll take us into into college what, what uh, after high school did you what what were your plans did you know that you wanted to absolutely be there at care youth league and, and, and service and kind of what were some of your ideas for a career or were you kind of just, uh, hoping and praying that something worked out? Well, I, uh, no, I, I felt, uh, in high school that, uh, late high school that, that God wanted me at care. Um, I felt like, uh, I was called to, uh, a couple of different things and, you know, I wasn't sure how God was going to put them all together, but I felt I was called in to teach, uh, to teach and to coach and do some other things. But, um, so I went to, when I went to college, I did some teaching on the side while I was still in college. I had taught uh, some classes at Rio and, um, initially I had, uh, I was going for a math degree until I found out what math degree really entailed. <laughs> and I uh, realized that electrical engineering was more uh, my forte. And so I, I went that direction. Um, I planned to teach, I planned to coach. Um, and then I also, as I was in college, realized that Boys Christian League Round of Prep was looking towards building a building program that was going to be fairly big. And I thought it might be good if uh, somebody at, at Rio or an arch layer leadership had a professional engineering license to be able to assist with whether it was the electrical engineering or something. And so that was my reason for going into full-time work outside was to get a PE license. However, like I said, the electrical didn't work out. So the acoustics came into being and it was actually turned out to me, it seemed more important to have the acoustics degree or the, the acoustics experience and uh, be able to make sure that the uh, Stiver Center and other buildings are, are properly built so that they're useful. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting to me in talking to people just how career paths go or just life path goes. Um, you, you know, we, we have the, the ambition versus God's plan, or, you know, sometimes those are tied in. I mean, it, it's interesting how you think you're going to go one direction and you end up going completely different one. And then later on down the road, it's like, Oh yeah, I'm glad I did this. I'm glad I ended up going that direction or being pushed that direction even because it was not only good for me, sure. but, but for other people. Right. 
Yep, definitely. <laughs> so, uh, Mr. Martin, you're, you're somebody I, I think of, I know we don't do the team names anymore, Atlantic, Coral, Indian, Superior, in the West, but uh, you're one of the first guys I think of when I think of uh, Indian. And I had so many friends who played on Indian. Um, Devin Drain comes to mind, of course. Uh, Fred Monteblanco, a good friend of mine now. And even Bill Ritter, he played on Superior. But I think when I was playing in fourth or fifth grade, you guys combined to be the Bulldogs or something, if I remember correctly. So do, do any of those names, uh, what, what memories do, do those names uh, bring up to you, if you will, from your coaching days? Well, they bring up all kinds of memories. I mean, um, I remember, I mean, going even farther back, I remember coaching Michael Dow Jr. and um, Devin Drain and Ed and JT and all these guys. Right. And um, I mean, there's, there's so many experiences that you have with them. Um, a lot of times it's the, um, maybe the outings that are more memorable to some of them. Um, <laughs> I remember coaching uh, a group uh, with Herman Wagner and some other guys. And uh remember having an overnight in the Indian club room. And uh, I told them the story of the white albino Oh. And um, they they told me that the next morning they, they didn't sleep the whole night. They kept looking out and they were scared something was going to come get them. And uh, we, we don't, we don't, for that reason, we don't tell these stories anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, championships or non-championship teams. You know, sometimes if you had a team that wasn't that great, you just had a lot of outings and you had a lot of fun. That's what Fred said. He says, we're really good at outings. We were very good at others. I told him I was going to record with you. And he said, yeah, we were working. It was a young kid, I think. And he was work. You guys were working on a field, right? Taking pride, pride in field two or the Indian field. I think it was. And he showed up late and then was sloppy. And he, he said, yeah, Mr. Martin got on me about, uh, hey, you know what? You, you don't show up late. And then also, if you're going to do something, do your best. So some of those little things have stuck with some of my friends over the years from uh, from from your uh, your guidance over them, we'll say. Well, that, that's great to hear. It's <clears throat> what's funny is, you know, a lot of times you don't hear those stories. Mm. Um, and, you know, kids, you have kids, they go off and they go on to their careers. And sometimes you hear maybe a hello from them or something. But, you know, one of the things that um, really sparked me one time was um, I was in the middle of a club meeting and somebody in the office was trying to get a hold of me saying somebody was there to see me. And I said, well, I'm almost done. I got done, went outside and I, um, I saw Jesse Rodriguez. This is a guy that I'd had on my team years ago. He was on the same team as, um, oh, Kelly Prieto and Ray Torres and a few other guys. But anyway, he, he had, waited for me he had brought me a coffee mug that had desert storm on it and he says you know i want you to know i was there and i remembered all the things you taught me all the things i learned and those things kept me going while i was there and you know that just broke my heart to think okay here's a kid that i haven't seen in so many years and Obviously, Care Youth League and made a big impression on his life and helped him get through a very difficult time. Well, uh, I've been doing this over a year now. That is one of the best stories I've heard from anybody. Um, just being in Desert Storm and thinking back to his days on Indian and Care Youth League. I mean, incredible story. Tribute to you, Mr. Martin, and and so many other people. Um, wow, that's pretty powerful stuff. Um, uh, I don't know where to go from there, but uh, uh, no, I mean, uh, back to, I mean, Indian and coaching. I mean, did you find that at least in my short experience doing it, did you find coaching kind of either helped you out in other walks of life, maybe your job, or maybe later on down the road? Like I find that coaching almost is educational for coaches as well as players. Definitely. Definitely. Because, you know, you have to figure out ways to fix a problem or when you go into a game, you've got to have some strategy that's going to help you work or you're dealing with uh, parents and kids. And so knowing how to um, talk to them about issues and solve some problems that naturally leads into my job as an acoustical consultant where I'm dealing with clients or I'm dealing with um, neighborhoods or cities and we're trying to solve problems and knowing how to 
talk about these things with them clearly and um, helping them understand the issues and, and understand what their issues are and, and helping them solve them. Yes. Uh, oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Indeed. I think a lot of us who played ball as kids, um, even in high school or whatever, like you, you remember maybe some of your teacher's names, your math teacher, your history teacher, but I think the impact that coaches have on, on young people is truly remarkable because it carries with them, uh, in, in all walks of life, specifically, as you just mentioned in that story, um, with one of your former players. And, and I also got to ask this, you know, I had Ed drain on here, uh, the drain family, a very special group of people to me, but I'm trying to remember was Ed when Ed was uh, diagnosed with leukemia, were you, I know he was in Indiana and you eventually coached him. Were you coaching him at that time? I was coaching him at that time. <clears throat> what was interesting was, um, you know, I, I, uh, I lost my wife just before I took Ed's team. And I can remember, um, I can't remember if it was Mara. It's probably Mara who talked and was talking to me about some things and said, you know, are you still planning on coaching? And my answer was, of course, yes. And she said, well, uh, you know, because they were looking forward to having Ed on my team because he was supposed to be on my next team or whatever. And so, yeah, I had Ed and um, remember, <laughs> when, when, it's not something to laugh about when he got that diagnosis, but what was strange was after he'd gotten through most of that in the hospital and he was playing on my team still, I had to know what his medication situation was and what his, um, how he was feeling because I had to decide, okay, is he going to pitch today or is he going to play how much how much am I going to put him in the basketball game or whatever it was? So, yeah, it was, um, it was a crazy time. A lot of prayer that went, um, from a lot of people towards Ed and so grateful that God saw him through it. Yeah. hundred percent. Uh, shave your head for Ed. I love, remember those banners everywhere. All these teammates. I mean, it was, a, I was in high school and as we were all pulling for him. He, I remember him up at the, Remember him up sitting, I think not a wheelchair, but up in a sitting in the stands by his house during CIF champion or playoff football games, all bundled up. And we were like, you know, Devin was my teammate, of course. So we were all pulling for Ed, going to see him. But uh, it was, I want to tell this story real quick while, while we're kind of on this subject. But uh, Ed, JT, Wes Mosier, I might have uh, forgotten some other names there. Uh, this is one of the craziest games I've ever seen at any level, a uh, big mismatch. And again, Ed had just kind of, or was still in the process of, of beating uh, cancer and everything. I actually refereed this basketball game, Mr. Martin, uh, the Indian guys in triple a went up against the, the Cardinals who had all kinds of talent, hadn't even lost a game in like any sport in three or four years. And I, Eddie told this story and, and, it was truly remarkable. You know what? I might have been still been a senior because Ed told us, okay, now you guys got to go beat price. I think it was, but you guys upset the Cardinals. I talked to Phil Horton about this. He kind of chuckled about it, but I remember seeing this going, man, I know this is youth sports, but this is almost like a, a movie should be made about this. Do you remember that day and beating those Cardinals with that group of guys? Of course. I can never forget that. I mean, I had, I had tried to strategize every other time we played them and couldn't find anything that worked. And then um, I finally decided because I knew a lot of the scores that they made were because they had two tall guys out playing guards and they would steal the ball and go lay it up and get a lot of their scores that way. So I was determined we weren't going to let them do that. And I had the point guard just dribble down the left or right side so that the one guard couldn't guard him. So we had an open wing and, you know, a low post and, but those guys, our guys, they hit the shots. They made, uh, I can't remember what percentage they made. It was amazing. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we, we upset them. It was their day. Yeah. Their day, your guys' day. They, I couldn't believe it. It was uh, really something. Again, I was refereeing. I started refereeing youth sports at a very young age. And I, I do want to say this, there's a few leaders out there, a few coaches who, uh, are incredibly nice men. Very nice men, godly men, competitive men. Um, some of the coaches out there, uh, a, a few come to mind, and you're one of them. As an official, especially a young kid, and this is no knock on you, it was just a perception. For as a kid, it was, it was somewhat intimidating when 
you walked on that court or walked on the game, walked on the field. And it, it, again, it was just maybe an age different thing or, or uh, you know, that I was new to officiating and everything. But I always remember your games at a young age, stepping out there and we're like, oh, I got Mr. Martin today. I better be I better be on it or he's going to let me know. <laughs> so, so how many times did I let you know? Oh, uh, well, a per game, per game, a few times. No, but over the years. Yeah. Uh, but no, you were, you were good. You made me a better official. I'll say that. I, uh, you know, it's hard sometimes when you're a coach, cause sometimes obviously you can see things two ways uh, and you're a little biased when you're the coach. So, yeah, I mean, I, I try to make sure I keep that in mind when I was coaching, but uh, probably couldn't always do it. Hey, we all, we all get ultra competitive at times. And I'll tell you this, like when I, I had a decent officiating career, high school and college stuff, I remember literally being on fields and telling myself, you know, about the, the guys, the coaches I was uh, working for, I guess you'd say is I'd be like, these guys are nothing. I used to work games by myself for Mr. <laughs> Steve Martin, uh, Rod, Eden, Mike Murphy. These guys would scream at me and I was by myself. I got nothing. These guys got nothing on me. So I, it brought me down, made me relax. Anyway, that's, I just wanted to mention that it was a uh, funny times. Um, but anyway, uh, Mr. Martin, you mentioned it a little bit ago. Um, I think I could have the year wrong. Excuse me. If I, if I, I thought was dating, looking back at my timeline of kind of when I was in eighth grade and ninth grade and such, um, your wife, Pam, uh, unfortunately passed away in a car accident, devastated, uh, you, your family, the whole organization really. And I remember uh, not really a connection to it, but I was in eighth grade and the girls in my class were coached by Pam and they were her last fish group that they, she had coached for a year, I believe. And I'm just saying all that because I remember how hard that was for them, my classmates, my peers, um, and how hard they took that. So if, if you would, I mean, I know it's not necessarily, you know, always a fun subject to talk about, but can you take me back to that horrible day, that horrible accident and just kind of that experience? Uh, sure. Um, the, um, that was also the night of a rehearsal dinner for, um, wedding between Rick and Valerie Johnson now. Um, I was actually at that dinner awaiting my wife to come when I got a phone call from some strange person, had no idea who it was and said, you need to come. And they didn't say much, but I headed over there and I remember driving. It was, uh, and saying to myself, you know, I, I don't care about the car. That's material stuff. Lord, I just take care of her. Um, and um, I can remember <laughs> it was it was bumper to bumper traffic, so I was driving on the shoulder sometimes. Mm. I just said, you know, I'm going up Kellogg Hill. I said, I, I don't care. You know, if the officer stops me, I'll tell him why. I got to get to this accident. And um, by the time I got there, they told me she was over at Pomona Hospital. And so I went there and, um, you know, it was rough because nobody said anything to me for the longest time. Um, I remember I finally, after a while, I went to some waiting area somewhere and, you know, my mind just started going on some things. And I said, you know, what, I mean, I'd had an accident previously where I was out for, I was hit by a car. Uh, My head was cracked. I had been unconscious for three days in intensive care for a week. And so, you know, I just kind of expected that God was going to bring her, wake her up, you know, I didn't know how long. Um, But in that waiting room, I had a feeling all of a sudden that, you know, what if, what if she doesn't make it? And the weirdest, um, I'll call it weird. It's not really weird, but it was strange to me how Christ's words came to me basically and said, you know, Lord, I'm praying that Pam be okay, but I want your will, not mine. <laughs> and as soon as I said that in my mind, I said, what are you saying? Are you nuts? Um, but um Anyway, uh, 
later I was told that, you know, she had lost uh, oxygen to the brain. And so she was uh, not going to be a viable person anymore. And Tommy was, uh, what, seven or eight months. He was still breastfeeding at the time. And Hannah was seven. And so I had three kids, four kids um, between one year and seven months. And so, yeah, it was very hard. Um, my first thought um, was, how am I going to take care of these kids? And how am I going to work? And how am I going to do these other things? But I finally hired somebody to come to the house to take the kids and get them ready for school because I'd usually leave early for work so I could get back to coach. And then I'd get back and I'd coach and I'd come home because I'd have somebody else, somebody, the same person pick them up from school and take them home. And then I'd come home and take care of them the rest of the night, get them off to bed. And yeah, I did that for what, five years until um, thankfully I am and I got married. But um, the, the one thing that, uh, gave me a lot of strength in all of that is that, you know, I, I could, I knew that the morning that this happened as my usual um, procedure was that I, <clears throat> I prayed for my family and I prayed for Pam. I prayed that God would take care of her and have her, his will in her life. I did see her later at, at a practice where she picked up the kids from me because she was off looking at, uh, she went to a graduation at Cal Poly Pomona for some of the girls she had coached. And, um, but that was one of the things that helped me get through it. The other thing that I've told many people many times that, you know, if, if God hadn't wanted that to happen, he could have delayed her by five seconds or the idiot that was driving recklessly could have been, 10 seconds faster or 10 seconds slower. And, um, you know, if this was, I mean, uh, still hard to accept. I can remember asking Mr. Ostergaard when he came over, Francis Ostergaard came over to the house and wanted to talk. And I said, you know, why me? You know, I'm sure everybody asks that same question when something bad happens. He said to me, well, why not you? Hmm. And I looked at him strange. He says, well, what, if he's, he, what if he thought you were the only one that could handle it? Wow. Well, okay. And all the other things that I knew, and, and you know, I knew that God was in control. And I said, well, if God has a reason for this, I may never know it, but I've got a job to do and I've got to take care of these kids. And, um, so I had, I had some help um, and was my faith tested during this time? Yes, a little bit, but <laughs> not that much because I looked and said, okay, this happened some, if this happened to somebody that had no faith in God, what would they do? Oof. Where would they go? <laughs> I mean, they might do what um, someone else that I... Um, I think Eileen, who was Pam's mom, really appreciated the way I handled things after it. I mean, obviously she was devastated with her daughter's death, but she herself, her mom had died when she was young and she saw her dad take to drinking and eventually put her in a home with a, a nephew and an uncle or something, and an uncle. And, um, you know, I certainly didn't want something like that to happen to have my kids have no leadership, no, nobody, no parenting. So I, you know, my, my faith was in God and I figured he'll have to get me through it. And he did. Well, I mean, Mr. Martin, uh, to me, you know, you, your strength, your leadership through all that, um, again, being the leader now of four kids, I mean, it was you and your wife before and four young kids, as you mentioned, Tommy was seven months old and, 
I think that was a concern for a lot of people with not just you and the kid, but just man, four young kids losing their mother at a young age. I, I lost my mom at 23 and a very similar feelings. It was just a shock. It, 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 uh, it broke me in some ways and made me stronger in others. And I, I just remember feeling the support of so many people, Care Youth League specifically, Rio Hondo Prep specifically, that were there. That really did mean, they did mean the whole cliche, let me know if you need anything. People really did mean it. And I don't and, know. And I, sh- and, I, and I should make that really clear. Um, and I should have already said that. I had so much support from so many people, friends, leadership, um, even even some of the parents on, on teams, um, it gave me another perspective for what issues a single parent faces at Care Youth League. Um, but I had so much help from leaders and friends and, you know, the leadership was part of the, was the reason that I had somebody here to help me in the mornings and in the afternoons. Um, I was paying these people to do this work because it was important and, but they helped me make sure that I had somebody. And when there were issues, people jumped in, people were willing to do things. And a lot of times it was hard to accept them because it's like, <laughs> you've done so much already for me. Yeah. You know, let me, I'll just get through this. And it's like, no, you won't. <laughs> well, your, your, your testimony here is, is incredible because I think it really, it brings up a lot of different thoughts for all of us listening, you know, the power of prayer, um, just, inner strength, having faith tested, but like to your, that was a great point you made about if this had happened to someone who didn't have faith, what direction would they have gone? Um, and I think anyone who suffered at all, you go through a whirlwind of emotions. So I, I know it's, thank you so much for saying all that. Um, I remember her memorial was spectacular. I mean, if, if you could say that in a, about a, a memorial, just the, the music, the outpouring of love and support, uh, definitely a moment I will always remember as a, young kid. I was, I think, you know, 14, 15 years old when it all happened. So, uh, yeah, I didn't have a ton of memories of, of Mrs. Martin, but I knew that my classmates in eighth grade, the girls in my class absolutely loved her. She was so nice to the, to the young men as well as us eighth grade boys, uh, the brief interactions we had. Um, but anyway, uh, Mr. Martin, a few years later, as you mentioned, uh, you remarried a wonderful woman in, uh, Jeanette Wickstrom, now Jeanette Martin. And, uh, I, I knew Jeanette a little bit, but I know this, uh, she's a huge sports fan. She posts a lot about, uh, sporting events and places you guys have gone and traveled to and such. So, uh, uh, and then she became a mother of four overnight. So <laughs> what was that whole experience like? I mean, it, it, I don't even know where to start really. I mean, just uh, her stepping into your life, I guess I'd say. Well, it was obviously a very difficult thing for her. Um, she, she was looking forward to getting married and I was looking forward to getting married, but all of this, I probably dragged my feet a little bit just because I wanted to make sure that she wasn't, you know, she had some idea what she was going into. Uh, she, before we got married, she was working here with the kids and fixing dinners and doing all those things. So, and after marrying her, it was, she did such a great job helping with the kids, um, being the mother that they needed, being the wife that I needed. And, uh, we meld, we, we formed a, a very good family. Um, before we got married, I said that we were going to have a good honeymoon uh, because I, we didn't have any, we didn't have a lot of time by ourselves. Like most people do, you know, you have time together and then you have kids. Well, the kids were already there. So um, (laughs) after we got married, we, we went for a a five week honeymoon and where we went to Europe and into Africa to visit Doug and Noel and see their uh, mission in um, Kenya and then also took a safari while we were there. And, uh, but when we got back, you know, then the kids were there and I was gone, I was working. And so it was, it was very difficult on her, but she, she read, she came up to the bar and reached over the bar and handled uh, everything and, and helped quite a bit. Now we, um, 
we've, well, you were talking about sports fans or yeah, yeah, yeah. The actual question. No, she's, I mean, uh, I see her on social media. She's posting all kinds of stuff about the Dodgers all the time. I think you guys went to the world series uh, last year. I mean, to me, it seems like the, now that the kids are growing, the real honeymoon has started because you guys are traveling around all over to different sporting events. Well, yes, but we traveled a lot when the kids were here, too, and partly because, you know, before Pam died that uh, end of that school year, I had planned a trip to take her. Things were different back then. We didn't have a lot of money. It wasn't uh, that um, people didn't travel much. Um, I was trying to find a time to take Pam just over to Catalina to have a couple nights over there or something. And I knew she wouldn't miss school for it. Um, so I had to figure out how to do it and when to do it. And then uh, didn't have a chance to do it because she was killed. And um, so I kind of decided that it was going to be important to do things together, especially with Jeanette coming in as a new mom. She, by the way, I should have mentioned, she did go through the process of adopting them so that she was the full-fledged mother Wow. Um, which took quite some time and paperwork and whatnot. But anyway, I wanted to take trips with the whole family so we could meld together as a, as a unit. And um, so we went on a lot of trips with the kids. Now that the kids are gone, yes, we do some traveling on our own. Um, we love the Dodgers. She's probably, she always says, you know, fan is short for fanatic and she is certainly a fanatic. She's probably more of a fan than I am, although I enjoy it. And we probably watch every Dodger game that there is either on TV or go to it. And um, when the COVID season was there and nobody could go to any games uh, and finally the game was going to be in Arlington and we found a way for us and the Kirby's Dan and Joel to go to Arlington and, and watch one of the world series games, which they lost with this uh, crazy last minute overthrows and things. Oh, you were at game, that game. That five. Game. Yeah, that the, game was uh, wild. Melee game. But anyway, it was um, it was great to be there and see it and yeah, be a fan again. Oh, definitely. Yeah, you said, uh, you know, probably a bigger love of baseball later on in life. And I'm assuming she had a, she had a lot to do with that. Um, what, with her... I mean, she stepped in, the kids were still relatively young and uh, it's a, it's an incredible story, which is kind of what I wanted to talk about all this today. But I mean, you guys evolved, had this great family together and, and now the four kids all grown up. I mean, what can you speak, speak of about, about your, your four kids, uh, Hannah, Samantha, Tommy, and, and Steven, and kind of their accomplishments as, as adults uh, and growing up after having gone through something so really traumatic at a young age? Well, uh, yes, I think uh, there was obviously a big hurt in all of their lives, uh, not having a, a mother, losing their mother. Um, I mean, I can't say enough how, how proud we are of all four of them. I mean, Anna is a teacher at Arroyo who felt it was important for kids at Arroyo to also have somebody that was a, a godly teacher that could, you know, point them to Christ. And Sammy, who's a, a nurse and been uh, helping patients in their struggles. And Stephen, I don't know if he uh, is a, um, what's the expression? Um, chip off the old block because he's kind of going into engineering um like i did a different he's into mechanical engineering and uh working there and tom who's finished his business degree and looking to maybe get an mba and uh looking into what kind of uh, business he can do in the hospitality industry so yeah i mean it was uh you know uh, Jeanette, in, in one way, she she brought. Um, I kind of stayed away from video games with the kids, and she kind of brought that into the kids, which you know, okay, it was all right for a little bit, you know, but then it got to the point where, okay, now you're in in high school, and you know what? 
we both agreed that we're going to have to take these away from them. We might let them do some on the weekends or something, but it was more important to get everything else done. And so that was um, something that they didn't appreciate at the time, but, um, you know, we're, we're fortunate that, you know, most of them, because they worked hard in, in high school, were able to get some kind of a, a, um, a grant for college and, uh, or a scholarship of some sort. So. Wow. Well, all of them pursuing fields where they're, you know, at service to others, it sounds like, and, and just, um, and man, they seem incredibly motivated pursuing some, some, uh, rather difficult fields and not, not an easy road for sure, but it sounds like, uh, they're going to be very successful. You got to be proud of them. And, and it, look, it, it has a lot to do with you and Jeanette and, and your guys' uh, leadership and also just, uh, I mean, raising four fine individuals. There's, I don't know if you know this, Mr. Martin, but there's some young people out there these days that don't, that, uh, are kind of going a, a little different direction. We'll say, and it has a lot to do with lack of leadership from, from the adults. So um, I know you're incredibly proud of them and you should be. Yeah. Lack of uh, parenting or parents that uh, think they don't want to uh, rock the boat or set standards. And the facts are kids, adolescents, they, they want boundaries. They want boundaries because that makes them feel safe and mm. uh, you don't give them boundaries and they're going to get involved in the things that are going to destroy their lives. Oh, that's so well said. Very well said indeed. Uh, well, well, Mr. Martin in, in kind of wrapping it up here, I wanted to ask you if you had, if you had a, a message really, or just kind of uh, some words of wisdom, if you will, for anyone who's, who's going through adversity, who has, they're in a storm, we'll say, I mean, what, w- what advice would you give after going through something that none of us can really imagine? something so horrible to, to go through that and, and just fight through it and conquer it really. I mean, I'm sure it sticks with you still, but what could, what would be your message to those who are struggling? Cause this past year, I don't know. And you know, a lot of people went through a lot of uh, obstacles and just hardships. So what would right. be your message to those struggling uh, as far as just excelling, getting through it all? Uh, well, I would say, you know, God knows what we're going through. I mean, he sees us. He cares. Um, And at times, when we go through things like this, he's going to seem like an uncaring father. Like he doesn't know what's going on or or that he doesn't care. But he does. He, um, I I read a um, comparison or a simile that that states that God is like the... um, the guy up in the helicopter that's doing the traffic report. We're sitting down there in the, in the car and we can't understand what is wrong. Why can't I go? What's, is there an accident up here? We can't see it because we don't, we can't see far enough advance. He's up in the helicopter and he can look down and he can see what's going on. He's got it all taken care of. He knows what the problems are. He knows how he's going to get us through it. And, um, even though he seems like he may not care, it's not true. He does care. And just count on him to get you through it. We may never understand some of the reasons why these bad things happen. Um, and I don't, I'm not sure if, um, you know, in heaven, there's supposed to be nothing bad. So are you going to remember any of the bad things that happen on earth? And will you be able to ask God and say, why did this happen? I don't know. I've asked that myself because I've said, you know, when I get to heaven, I'd like to know why God ordered my life the way he did. Um, but some of us won't ha- have any of those answers until later, but you know, God does care. He will see us through. Well, very well said. Uh, I'll definitely take that with me here in, into the weekend and, and beyond. And uh, Mr. Martin, this has been a real pleasure. I really appreciate you chat with me uh, about some serious subject matter, as well as kind of going down memory lane. Uh, I hope everyone who's listened to this uh, has taken something from it, uh, a way to be stronger, a way to be a better leader. And uh, you've touched a lot of lives, a lot of kids you coach, and also your uh, your four kids uh, yourself. So uh, this has been an honor, sir, seriously, bottom of my heart. And I appreciate you sitting down with me. Well, thank you for the opportunity. It was uh, 
it was fun to talk and go through memory lane and provide some uh, some thoughts. Sounds great. Well, uh, enjoy the rest of the Dodger baseball season here. I'm sure you and Jeanette will be watching closely. And uh, they got to catch up with the Giants and get ahead of them. Yeah, right. We're saying that all year. Everyone's been saying that all year. It's like, oh, they'll be fine. But hey, it's September now. Time to pick it up. Yep. <laughs> Thanks again, Mr. Bard. Thank you, Matt. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that as much as I did. Um, I'm definitely feeling uh, some inner strength today after uh, having that conversation with Mr. Steve Martin. I hope you guys are also. Um, I mean, what more can you say about a wonderful man who's not only a leader, but just has an inner strength and uh, an inspiration to so many people, not just the kids he coached, but the kids he raised, uh, his, his wife, Jeanette, uh, all his peers. I'm just an incredible person. And um, man, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed that and took something from it because I know I know I, I sure did. So thanks again, Steve Martin. An absolute pleasure, sir. Well, guys, that will wrap up our week of shows here on the Get Home Safe podcast. Another week in the books. We head into another weekend, take a few days off, and then we'll be back for more shows next week. On Monday, we will be joined by head football coach Mark Carson to talk about the Rio Hondo prep game from this Friday and look forward to the upcoming game the following Friday. Hopefully, we get a chance to sit down with Mark. I mean, that's the plan, I should say. Uh, So hopefully, there's no obstacles. We make that happen. Wednesday, I'll be with Bill Barnes the on the weekly Wednesday Wayne, the retired police officer who joins me every single week. And we have another great guest next Friday that I will let you guys know about on our social media platforms. What are those places, you ask? Well, our Instagram and Facebook page is Get Home Safe Podcast. Our Twitter handle is Get Home Safe Pod. And our email address is Get Home Safe Podcast at yahoo.com. Follow us on Instagram or said all that already follow us on uh, YouTube. We have a YouTube channel, get home safe podcast, where you can see um, the most recent episodes from the past few months anyway. And of course, wherever you listen to podcasts, you cannot find our podcast, get home safe podcast. Uh, Give us a a like review, follow all that good stuff. Appreciate all the support. It helps uh, our podcast continue to grow and to uh, evolve. And so we're always looking for more and more great content and uh, that involvement from you guys helps it to operate more smoothly. Guys have a great rest of your week. Well, I should say we're at the end of the week. It's Friday. What am I thinking? But the weekend is here. Enjoy your weekend. Hopefully uh, from the the conversation you heard today, you're inspired to uh, fight through any adversity that you're going through. I know I do uh, quite a bit more. So anybody quite a bit more, whatever I'm supposed to say there. Anyway, guys, have a great weekend. But as always, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe. (laughs) 